Welcome to the 158th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Duncan Ashby recently had the opportunity of a lifetime. With the help of a Churchill Fellowship, he was able to tour farms and other agriculture-related businesses and organizations in the United Kingdom, Canada, and the U.S., Ashby works with farm businesses in southeastern Australia's state of Victoria, focusing on financial management and succession planning. Over the years, Ashby, who is also a guest lecturer in rural business law and farm leasing at Marcus Oldham College, has grown concerned about the number of unprofitable farms in his home country, the aging farm population, and the inability of beginning farmers to get access to land. He sees agricultural leasing as a way for a new generation to get access to farmland without taking on crushing debt. He used his Churchill Fellowship to research agricultural leasing practices in other countries and hopes to use the information to promote it in Australia, where only 7% of land is leased. In the U.S., as much as 40% of farmland is rented. In the U.K., around 30%. During his visit, Ashby stopped in Minnesota to talk to Land Stewardship Project staff about farmland transition issues in the region. While here, he sat down with me to discuss the benefits of leasing and innovative approaches to transitioning farmland onto the next generation. I think uh, one of the big issues for any young farmer is getting the capital up to buy land. And, and basically in Australia, it's very difficult if you don't inherit the family farm. Uh, I think that's the case everywhere. And the other issue that's hanging over farming in Australia and, and everywhere else, it seems, is that there's an ageing population of farmers it's very hard to get young farmers through and, and how we can help the next generation. And I think leasing is a good option for a young farmer. It doesn't have to have uh, so the, the funds behind them to get into it. And I've seen some good examples in the UK of success where a, a young farmer has been able to build up a farm business by having solely leased land and all of their funds can then go into the working capital of the business to buy machinery or livestock. So in a way it releases them from having to fund land purchases. It, uh, it gives you a lot more freedom. Of course, then hangover it is that you need some sort of uh, longer-term lease mm-hmm. to allow you to develop your business. In the UK, they do have longer-term leases, and that's been successful. I think it would be challenging here with the predominance of one-year leases. One of the things that I think uh, whenever you start looking at situations like this is you say part of this is a very historical issue with Australia with uh, land ownership being so important, and, and that's certainly the case here in the U.S. Is, is land ownership is highly valued. I guess how much of this is an economic issue and how much of this is a, a societal issue or a social issue of l- getting people to take a different look at uh, what it means to farm, that often is, being a farmer here is associated with owning that land rather than leasing it kind of thing. Yeah, that, it's very similar in Australia. There is a high um, value put on owning the land. And I guess when you look at the increase in land values as well, it's been a very good asset to hold. Um, it's it's appreciated uh, greatly, and it's, uh, that's been a very uh, good source of wealth for farmers that have owned that land. Mm-hmm. But in Australia, 50% of farmers don't make any money. They're making a loss. So all of them would be better off leasing their land out. And it would be better for larger farmers to gain economies of scale and for smaller farmers to um, use more intensive industries so they could lease land on a long-term lease. Uh, I think it would be better for everyone involved. So I think once those economic arguments are clearer to people, there might be a change in that sort of thinking and, and the older farmer hanging on to his land um, on, his, on principle Mm-hmm. might look at it a bit more clearly if they can see the, the economic argument as well. 
it seems everywhere you go there's some government incentive or program that's designed for one reason and it um, is sort of distorts the market in a way that wasn't intended. So in the UK that's inheritance tax, which is for farmland there's exemption. So it just means that wealthy individuals are buying farmland and land there is now £10,000 an acre on average. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of... Uh, $20,000 just for average farming land. So it's extraordinarily expensive. And now there's no relationship in the UK between a lease value, a lease payment per acre and the agricultural, the value of the land itself. So uh, I think in Canada, the US and Australia, there's still a connection there between a lease and the value it's, itself. Um, but in the UK, that, that connection's completely broken. So in some ways, that's freed up their more entrepreneurial farmers to uh, not have to own the land and the lease value, no one's expecting to get 5% of the value of the land, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's allowed them to, to focus purely on their farm business and their capital going into working capital. Uh, I, the figure was that 70% of new land purchases there are funded from with no debt, so it's purely wealthy individuals buying land. Well, you'd mentioned earlier that, I guess on the bright side or on the positive side, you had seen some real innovative lease arrangements in the UK. You spent quite a bit of time there. Can you talk a little bit more about what you saw there and if you think that's something that can be applied in Australia as well as maybe here in the US? The interesting examples, I think, were where it's interesting that the broad-scale agriculture is very difficult to get a start in because you need those scales. So the successful businesses I saw were all more intensive, which is why I'm interested in what's happening here with the land stewardship project because you're looking uh, basically at, at, at products that are generally more intensive or, or marketed because of their, their quality, so it might be organic or whatever that is. The examples I saw in the UK were where someone didn't have the farming background, they'd been able to develop a product and sell it to a specific market. So it might be um, organic sheep from a, a, a certain area with a certain breed or specific products to a, a market. I come away from all of it thinking the entrepreneurial side for the young farmers just the key element and um, they might understand a certain type of farming but the ones that I saw was where the the examples in the UK I saw where the young farmers had been able to develop a business plan and then um, focus on that. I guess the interesting thing is that there was there's not a linear relationship between a young farmer leaving a university starting in a job slowly working their way up to a scale the successful options I saw, they'd all actually had an interest in farming, whether it be family farming or, or study, but they'd gone away then, and a lot of them, the, the couple in Scotland that I saw, they'd worked in the oil rigs, then they'd come back with some working capital behind them and started their farm at an older age. So that they often had taken time out to do something else that made them some money that allowed them to get a start. Very difficult to start without any working capital behind you. Um, even if you're the most passionate and knowledgeable farmer mm-hmm. that there is. So. One of the things that we're seeing here, uh, at least particularly here in the Midwest, is um, there was kind of the conventional wisdom for many years that young people were not interested in farming, not interested in getting established at it. We'd had that gap where a lot of people left the farm, you know, the rural brain drain, they call it. With Farm Beginnings and some other training programs, we're finding that uh, the demand often outstrips the available class space. There is a huge uh, interest in farming. There may not be the options to get access to land after they get the training, but there is that interest. What, is that what you're seeing in, say, Australia or, or the U.K., that, that kind of demand or interest amongst young farmers? There's definitely uh, an interest from some talented entrepreneurial young people, and uh, that's fantastic. But I think it's still difficult to get into farming. 
and it's one of the things I've heard from everyone that the average age of farmers in Australia is late 50s and it's the same in the UK, it seems the same here, mm-hmm. same in Canada. But I question whether that's probably always been the case. There's always been an older um, age group that controlled the farmland. I think it's always been tough to get into farming. In years when you look back and land prices were seemed very cheap, that's probably because it was an unprofitable period and if you're a young farmer, that was still a tough time to get into farming. Maybe interest rates were high or commodity prices were very low. So there's, there's always some factors that make it difficult. And, and there's also probably a lack of courses now for, for people to get into farming. There seems to have been a reduction in courses here for, for farmers. Um, there certainly has been in Australia and the UK. Uh, the, the more I look at it, the more I think, well, there's just some good opportunities for young farmers in the future as there's an ageing farmer population as this transition occurring. I think on the broad-scale farmers, the big farmers are going to get bigger, but there are some uh, opportunities for, for smaller farmers if they're, they've got that entrepreneurial spirit and they can develop their own business plan and, and focus on, on what they're interested in. One of the situations we run into here is this, uh, I guess, idea amongst older retiring farmers. They don't maybe see a future for young farmers, and they don't want to set them up for, for a, a failure. They don't, they, you know, maybe if they're approached about giving somebody a break on a price or some kind of creative, creative leasing agreement arrangement, they don't, they, they feel like, well, why? Because there, the, there isn't the opportunities that there were when I was farming in the, you know, so-called golden age after World War II, that type of thing. Also, they're in a situation often where, you know, their wealth is in their land, and so they want to make sure they, they can retire comfortably. Is I mean, is that part of this whole um, trying to figure out creative leasing ag- arrangements, that type of thing, is trying to get the message across to some of these retiring older farmers that there are opportunities for beginning farmers, you know, and, and trying to show examples of that? Yeah, it's been um, tempting in my trip to focus on the younger farmers because they're, they're often uh, passionate and they've got good ideas and they're, um, they're very keen and uh, it's sort of exciting that, that wave but the the issue in Australia and everywhere I've been is that they all need the supply of land to lease in the first place and that's the older farmers so in my project I'm I'm focusing on succession and older farmers as well in a way that's the bottleneck it's it's convincing them is more important than finding the younger farmers the younger farmers are there um, there's people supporting them Um, the good ones are getting having good ideas and they're they're uh, identifying the markets they're focused on but uh, getting the older farmers across the line is, is the key issue. And I think the tax situations in Australia, there's tax impediments in the UK, there's tax impediments to uh, getting off the land. They want to keep farming. Often they haven't built up because of the profitability of agriculture. They haven't built up off-farm assets that could support them. They also have that connection to the land. They don't want to, to leave the land they've farmed all their life. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if we look at uh, a share farming agreements where they can keep involved so maybe you start as an employee with, with a bonus above a certain level of production. Um, you could transition then to a share farming agreement where you utilise the experience of the older farmer um, and the young farmers then in their own business but is a share farming arrangement with the older farmer and ultimately you could move to a lease when the older farmer doesn't want the risk and they can um, just take a cash rent and it's completely um, they've got a secure income then. So for the young farmer that transition through and for the older farmer as well, it's a transition the other way from a situation where they're involved in the business and, and essentially they're, they're reducing their risk, the production risk, as they move away. Now, I guess the, the difference in the US is that you've got crop insurance, so for a cropping business, the risk's not there like it was without that. But um, for any other production system and in Australia and Canada, I think that transition of, for the older farmer away from the risks of farming where, where they're still involved through to a cash rent where 
they've got a secure income and there's no risk involved. That's that's sort of I guess where I'm headed with with my the findings from my trip is is a progression. It's not just one form of land tenure will will work for both older farmer and and the the new incoming farmer, um, but it'd be a progression where the risks generally. Uh, the risk profile is changing for, for both parties. I was expecting there to be sort of one great idea coming out of this trip, but it really seems to be split into two areas where the, the broadacre agriculture, the, the cropping where economies of scale, basically anything where you're producing a mass market commodity, commodity and you're a price taker. Uh, you know, I think leasing can play a role there, but it's a very different business uh, model to the, the intensive entrepreneurial agriculture where you've got a product that you can get a premium for, whether mm-hmm. it's organic or... Um, some other factor. Um, so there's sort of the two sides to it, I think. And if you're a young farmer with some family connections or industry connections that gets you your foot in the door on the broad acre side, the, the big scale side, then that's the, there's interesting options there with leasing to develop, in, increase the size of a, an existing business. But for someone who's starting out with no background in it, I think the more intensive side with a marketing angle um, really interests me. And, and anything where um, so here you've got the community-supported agriculture, or um, what's a CSA stand for? Mm-hmm. That's community-supported agriculture. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interesting model in the UK. That was a, I saw some farm shops where that was an interesting model, and it was purely leased land, and then the local produce sold in a local farm shop, and there was a real connection. You could look out the window, and there was the veg- veggie garden. Um, that was an interesting model. But I guess um, the ones that I'm uh, particularly interested in are the some sort of um, risk-sharing arrangement, so where the, the older farmer's still involved and can transition out of farming. The models where the older farmer farms and then suddenly stops mm-hmm. um, is a bit sudden, I think, and that's part of the resistance from the older farmer. Um, the models that interest me are the ones where the older farmer can transition, be a mentor with the, uh, some sort of share farming arrangement or contract farming, then transition to the point where ultimately they might lease it and then in the long term sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that transition process, I think, is an important element of getting the older farmer interested in it and uh, to support the arrangement. Do you get a sense that I know an issue that we're trying to get across here with the Land Stewardship Project is when we approach some of these older retiring farmers, many of them have built up a very viable conservation-based farm. That's that's it's a good it's a good member of the community. It's both economically and environmentally and socially. It's you know it's, it's just been a good presence in the community. If they could, instead of just selling out to a big landowner in the area at the highest price, find a way to pass it on to a, a beginning farmer that that could be a way to continue that legacy. I mean, is that something that, that either you've talked to people about or just what do you think about that I mean, after visiting you know various countries and seeing um, what's going on? Is that idea of continuing a legacy? And it's not, it, it like I said, it can be both maybe a conservation-based legacy but also an economic, that this is going to be an entrepreneurial enterprise present in a community type of thing? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question, and it's something I've given a lot of thought to because I do do quite a bit of succession planning in Australia, and and generally it's with a family situation, but if there's no family coming back, then how do they continue mm-hmm. what they've built up? And, and I think we can make leasing or share farming more attractive to older farmers if they, we highlight to them the ways that they can make that lease continue their farming practice or... or the, the legacy that they built up, how they can continue that. So some of the things that I'm interested in that I've seen are uh, lease conditions around the land management policies, around uh, environmental conditions that are 
how that land should be farmed. So whether that's in a share farming arrangement or a lease, but something that allow them to continue the practices that they've developed. And when you look at the variation in farmland, a lot of that's a very economic argument as well around the practices that work on that piece of land, mm-hmm. um, you know, that huge variation. So if it works for that land, the new farmer or the young farmer coming in would be uh, crazy not to, to take advice from the older farmer. Um, but I think a lot of it's around getting the message across to the older farmer that there are these options and it's not just a cash rent, here's your money, take the top dollar, walk away from it. You can continue your involvement and give the benefit of your experience to the new farmer um, and allow them to continue some practices that you've developed. So and I think that's going to be very interesting for the older farmer as well to, to, um, to be involved in that process. So it's, I guess it's a mindset for them to be continue to be proactive with what they've been doing and, and help the next generation. I guess you've got, they've got to be receptive as well to the young farmers' entrepreneurial ideas and some new ideas. So both parties, uh, I hope, to emphasise that they can learn from each other. I've been struck by that here in the US that there's not a lot of succession planning and there is resistance to the whole idea, whereas uh, it's, it's a fair part of what I do in my work in Western Victoria. I work with my father, who's run the, our business, for, he's been in our business for 30 years, and he, he always said that if you don't get a farmer before he's 60, it's too late because he's too set in his ways. <laughs> and now my father's 65, he's moved that goalpost out to 70. So <laughs> we're, uh, now he says if you don't get them before they're 70, they're too stuck in their ways. So, <laughs> so is I. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but I, I, I definitely agree with that. If you don't start the conversation early enough, then... Um, there's the resistance just based on, uh, I guess, the ageing process and, and uh, you're not as prepared to, to look at new things. So we always say succession planning has got to be a, a process that it just starts a discussion initially. It's a difficult one, particularly if it's a family member, a younger family member coming in to raise the topic because they look like they're making a grab for the asset, but really they just want some certainty about their own future, don't they? So yeah. um, we see that it's got to be a long-term process and I guess we emphasise succession planning so that just giving everyone certainty, whereas estate planning is just what you do when you someone's died. For more information on how to transition agricultural enterprises onto the next generation of farmers, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and check out the Farm Transition Tools section of the website. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm